All right, welcome to Reactive. Uh, I'm Khalil, and I'm not here with Raquel or Henning because they are both uh, super... No, actually, uh, Raquel is in uh, Norway right now. She's at Web Rebels giving a talk. And uh, Henning has some more job emergencies, so he um, wasn't able to, uh, to make it as well. So I had the absolutely brilliant idea to ask the to ask the community on Slack and on Twitter if there's anybody who would like to uh, jump in as a co-host and to to do some sort of a community special edition today. So this is a community special edition, and uh, with one brave community member who uh, who who uh, basically sacrificed himself to come on the show, um, or not himself, but maybe uh, some time. Um, and that's Felix Jung. So if any, so some people in the Slack chat m might know him from Slack because he's uh, quite active in the Slack chat as well. And so uh, welcome, Felix. Hey, Khalil. Thanks for having me. <laughs> quite a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, so I think, I think this is a very interesting idea. So because I want to know more about the people who listen to Reactive. So uh, uh, this is uh, an opportunity to find out about you know, more about y'all. And uh, so I would like to know, basically, I would like to know, so who, who are you? Where are you? Where do you live? Because this is an international show. Everybody needs to know where you live. <laughs> and, uh, and what do you do uh, for what, what's, what do you do at work? Sure. Um, so yeah, my name is Felix. I'm, uh, I, I live in Berlin, Germany. And um, I became a web developer about Yeah, pretty much two years ago. Um, before that, I, I went to uni and was doing a lot of quantitative finance and statistics and these sorts of things. And uh, yeah, wow. at some point decided that the PhD I was trying to get wasn't really something for me and that I, I, I knew I really wanted to become a developer of some sorts, originally thinking about app development. So, so uh, iOS apps, I'm a huge Apple fan. And, um, yeah, and somehow I, I met this, this, this guy, um, in an alumni group and, uh, uh, his startup had an opening for a front end developer. And that's how I ended up at, at sum up, um, as a front end engineer. And, uh, yeah, I work mostly on, on, a, on a dashboard type of app in angular and react, but also help with like a static marketing site and, and similar things. Cool. And uh, so, but how do you, how do you know how to program if you were well, to? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so I think back in high school, we, we were in like sixth or seventh grade and uh, we're going on a ski trip with a school and a friend of mine and, uh, and his, uh, his other friend, they created a website for the ski trip where students could look up information about the trip um, and see pictures of previous years and, and these sorts of things. And I thought, wow, this is super cool. This is like a, you, you can click around and you can create something and it's so modern. And back then I, I'm not even sure we had something like a DSL connection, uh, maybe not even ISDN if anyone still knows that. <laughs> um, and, and back then I think I started with, with like Microsoft front page. Um, if someone remembers that that was a, an application part of the office suite, uh, and, um, it, well, it was basically like Dreamweaver, I think. 
Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and from there, I don't know. Every now and then, I would want to create a personal web, uh, personal website for myself, and um, never really followed up with or followed through with it. And uh, yeah, and th- this is how I how I started with with web stuff. And over the years, I always kept doing some something on the side, maybe but never on a level where I was doing freelance work as a student or something like that. More like hobby projects. Okay. So we were always doing it on the side a little bit. Yeah. And then, of course, like this, this isn't really enough to these days in, in the front end stack to have like an easy entry where you can mm. relatively quickly write like web apps. So in university uh, studying business engineering, we, we had like the obligatory Java programming course and and in in school there was also some some education where we wrote turbo pascal and and delphi i think boland delphi like these kinds of things which made like the entry into the javascript world a bit easier uh okay later on so does that mean that you uh when when you made the decision okay you want to do um app development or something like that after university did 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 that mean that were you actually ready already to do like proper like angular app development react development or did you have to or were you did you start like as a junior developer at some up or something like that to learn all of that um so actually no i wasn't ready because i mean i I had done like academic programming and like r or or julia like stuff like that 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 was part of my my later education Mm -hmm. um but i had no clue about javascript i always thought about javascript as like people creating alerts and things like that like these annoying (laughs) alerts from the from the late 90s and 2000s and i knew there was this thing called jquery and and um when i when i made this decision to to just change careers I started to go into like one of these online course sites. So I think it was like code school or something like that. And, and I just started doing their, their courses, uh, for first for regular JavaScript. And then I think they have a jQuery course. And I also did an angular course. And I think I did this like the day before my interview. Um, (laughs) and, uh, yeah. And, um, at work, then I started as an, as an intern four month internship. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of the entry, and after that, it was like they liked my work, and I enjoyed it a lot. So they offered me a full time position. Nice, um, yeah, and that's that's how I got here. <laughs> Very cool. So, what does SumUp do? Uh, we're a mobile point of sales provider. So, so if you know Square, um, oh. uh, from the U.S., right? Oh, um, cool. We we kind of we kind of have a similar product, although ours like is we're in in most of Europe's countries, so we're all over Europe and Brazil. We're also in in the U.S. now, and um, like one of the key differentiators is that that we've always done like uh, like pin chip and and pin transactions, right? In in Europe, you have the chip on the card, which has become like sort of mandatory in the U.S. I think recently. Um, for fraud uh, purposes or like for fraud pre- prevention purposes and um, and uh, we have like this tiny card reader device where you can put the card in and you can enter the pin uh, to authorize a transaction and uh, for this of course our, our customers need like a dashboard where they can see transactions and um, and uh, follow up on like see statistics on, on on their sales and these kinds of things 
Um, that's the web aspect of it. And it works like with an app on your phone and you have the card reader and then you, you're ready as like a flea market vendor or I don't know, a restaurant owner to take card payments, which unfortunately in Berlin and I think a lot of places in Germany still isn't like common. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> we're fighting against that. But <laughs> yeah, people are hard to convince in, in this, this topic, it, it appears. Uh. Okay. Wow. Cool. This is so. This is so cool because uh, I just uh, just two days ago or so, um, I got a message on a DM on Twitter from a friend who he lives in in Israel, and he's mm. um, and he said he his sister in law was visiting from Berlin, and he showed her Square. I guess mm. she has some sort of a business. Uh, mm -hmm. and uh, so he showed her Square and for some reason it didn't work with German credit cards or something like that and he was mm -hmm. asking me if I know any alternatives and the only thing that I knew of was this uh, stupid rocket internet clone uh, Square clone Paymill I think it's it was called I think they're ins insolvent now uh, I think you're talking about Pay11 no? no Paymill Paymill? Pay I mean really? maybe there is pay, maybe Paymill is the old news I have no idea but Paymill uh, so when I googled a German square mm -hmm. clone that's what popped up Paymill and it's okay. a, a rocket internet company and it also the first article was like they're insolvent so I was like oh okay uh, so I, I had didn't have so I didn't have any tips for him so this is cool I can just tell him to to check out some up <clears throat> Yeah, <laughs> please do. <laughs> I just wrote him. <laughs> so he, Every merchant counts. <laughs> of course. Uh, he's asking if SumUp is good stuff. What should I tell him? Of course. <laughs> of course we're good stuff. No, it's it. It's it's a, like it's it's really great if you have a small business and you don't want to and you want to have like a fancy card reader, not like one of these dark gray big boxes. And um And uh, it's also like affordable because you have variable cost. You don't have any fixed cost with us. You, have, uh, you can give back the reader if you don't like it. Um, but I'm pretty sure you, his sister would. <laughs> yeah, cool. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll tell him. Um, okay, so tell me again, what are you exactly doing for them then? Um, yeah, so we have, we have uh, two main, main uh, front-end projects at the company. One is this customer dashboard that I was originally hired to work on and still am working on. This is like a, a legacy Angular One application that over the past two years, roughly two years, we have like tried to modernize. So, so in 2015, right after I joined that summer, we, we made, started to move towards ES6, um, migrated to Webpack from, from like, uh, what was it? Like we, ha I think we had like common JS modules, and um, and we went from one monolithic build to to like a a webpack build with multiple split points and this sort of stuff, and then had to go through the entire code base and and uh, ESXify it. Although because we're a small team, we did this like uh, step by step. So whenever we had to re-implement a feature or or introduce a new feature, we would. Um, we would uh, ESXify like that part of the code base. By now, pretty much everything is is like ES6, and um, we are also uh, we're also on Angular 1.5 now, I think. Okay. And uh, we have like a feature branch that is Webpack 2, um, which we still haven't deployed because uh, 
because it's sometimes harder to like get your all your backends aligned on a node version and unfortunately the node ver version that we run falls in a very tiny spectrum uh, <laughs> that isn't supported by webpack 2 so oh, uh, no. fingers crossed we might have it in like two weeks or so i'm i'm done with keeping that feature branch up to date <laughs> okay. and then we'll we'll get some webpack 2 goodness um and yeah this 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 dashboard we're also migrating to to react so it's kind of like a mixture right now between Angular One and and React, and every new feature, every every new thing that we implement is done in React, and we're trying to like deprecate all the all the Angular code. Mm, cool. Yeah, we're we're like a two 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 person team uh, at the moment, um, but we're looking to grow, and um, yeah, it's 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 exciting stuff. I I think like one of the reasons why why I eventually ended up doing front end I think is because there's so much to learn all the time um, and while this can be like really distressing I also enjoy it because I'm like well I, I like shiny new things right <laughs> and um, yeah and that's uh, something very interesting about front end yeah totally yeah like if, if you like yeah. like shiny things then front end is a great place <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, the second thing uh -huh. sorry uh, no, go ahead the second thing is like the, the marketing side, right? And every company needs needs like a marketing site. And um, yeah, there we have, we originally had had an Angular one driven marketing site, which you might imagine like for SEO purposes isn't so great. Yeah. <laughs> if, and uh, we, we managed to like migrate this to a setup where we use a lot of Contentful, which I think Henning has also spoken about a lot on, on the podcast, or at least... Uh, to some degree, couple, and we've had some, times, yeah. <clears throat> and some discussions on Slack. Um, it's like a headless CMS. Mm -hmm. um, so we use that together with with Jekyll as as a static site generator now to to generate our our our, uh, our marketing website. Fancy. But with the growing need for like uh, localization, we're we're now we're already in more than sixteen markets or in sixteen markets, and we're looking uh -huh. to grow that. By a lot, like mm. I don't, know, I don't know if I say, if I'm saying too much. Let's say we are doubling this, um, mm -hmm. but then it becomes really difficult to to have a build in Jekyll where where you where you have basically thirty websites that are that are output by this build in any like reasonable time, mm -hmm. um, and so we're we're currently looking to to get this in a state where we basically have. Like individual components, and and people can just pick for any given page on the marketing side. Just pick an, certain components, and they will be rendered server side by by like a React kind of setup. This is like a prototype we're working on right now, and uh, we're looking to to uh, go to for for the whole thing soonish. Um, so, are you writing your own server side kind of CMS kind of thing? Because there's there's React, uh, there's already some React things for that. I think, I think once yeah. Gatsby. Have you heard of Gatsby JS? Yeah, I I've looked into into Gatsby a bit. Um, I think like it, it looks it looks super nice in particular if you're doing something like a like a blog or any other aesthetic site. Mm -hmm. But um, but the like 
it's it's it might also have similar problems as we are having with with Jekyll right. in the sense that we would have to generate thirty different versions of the site, and also it's not even it hasn't even reached one which of course in front end terms doesn't mean much. But yeah. uh, I think we we weren't like ready to look into it. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, we're really looking to to um, to adopt Contentful for for pretty much everything on our website, mm -hmm. and um, what you can do there, or what we are trying to do, is to use their their own localization. So when you have, I don't know, in the world of Contentful, you have you have like content types. So say something like a um, a hero could be a content type, a, a page hero, or or a section could be a content type. And then each content type has certain properties, right? So just like an object, it, ha it has properties which are then called fields. And um, you can localize these fields within Contentful. And, and you can do things like, say you have a page and this page has a, has a field route. Then you can specify the route to that page within your content. And I think like solutions like Next.js or, or Gatsby wouldn't be necessarily great for that and would, would mm. take a lot of this modeling it comes from the framework that you're using mm. and what we're kind of looking to do is to our to have our content basically dictate the structure of the site and the front end should really just render whatever content we have based on the content we provide uh, or actually not we provide but our like marketing people or sales people who are then able to use Contentful to build their own landing pages and things like that so um that that's why like we thought now that that going with something that basically just takes content and renders it out on the fly as fast as possible might be the way to go um yeah Super although these other although these other tools are of course very interesting like <laughs> yeah. um i i certainly would want to to do something with with next.js or or any of the other um, modern React um, projects. Yeah, but it sounds interesting to to basically have a project where you're building something that is specifically uh, uh, tuned to Contentful or how you use Contentful. Uh, yeah, sounds like a, a pretty specific use case that you don't necessarily want now, like a big other framework that has other use cases in mind to kind of bend it towards what you need so actually sounds like it makes sense that you are building something from the ground up um uh, so why did you decide to go with react when you when you wanted to remove angular one oh um i think a lot of that comes from like even with with angular angular one it, uh, towards the later versions i think starting with 1.5 they also adopted this this component approach from React, mm -hmm. and um, I think like we we just really like this approach, and we we tend to to like prefer a functional approach to to most things. And while like there, you tend to retweet retweet uh, what's his name, Andre Stalz, no, the the psycho mm -hmm. jazz guy. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think he had like a longer discussion with Dan Abramov about like how React shouldn't be necessarily marketed as functional, given that you still have like <laughs> classes and all that. But um, I think we, we kind of like this component approach. And um, and then you have to kind of consider like the fact that you're trying to build a product that is 
maintainable and you need you need to be able to hire people who can who can work with this relatively quickly so you need something that is relatively popular and and has like if you try to look for solutions if you try to debug something then you want to want to be able to find content on on stack overflow and other mm-hmm. other sites right yeah and i think this was like one of the main main drivers behind this decision um yeah yeah some, something like that and and of course like with react compared to angular you get so we of course we could have gone to angular 2 or now 4 right but um back when angular 2 was was announced final we still had the feeling that a lot of things in angular land are like were broken or were not really finished and you would run into a lot of problems probably you can talk about this a bit more given that you work on an angular 2 app i think Mm um but this was also something where we thought, ah, maybe this is not the right thing. And if we go with React, we get the added bonus or benefit. Maybe some people consider this a curse um, that that it's really just the the UI library, right? So we still get to 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 decide how we want to architecture our app and and how which other libraries we want to integrate and like these kinds of things. So I think it was like the right trade-off between freedom and flexibility and and support uh, that that you can find online mm-hmm. yeah makes makes a lot of sense for sure what is what is your experience with with angular 2 like yeah, you said on the last episode i think that that you're looking to uh to rewrite um tiny draft in in preact just to see what's like what yeah. it's like and um i think you wrote it in angular 4 right yeah, tiny yeah. draft mm-hmm. um so, so what is what is your experience with that? Um, okay, so the I think the experience we had as a, as a project at work was was pretty, um, yeah, it's pretty it's, it's pretty indicative of how this time was because we started at the point where it was still uh, Angular, where like Angular one point four I think was still. The major, the, the 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 highest version of Angular or whatever, and um, so, and we started doing building our project with Angular one point four, so uh, but in an Angular two style. So the the whole thing that Angular one point five was was doing, we did before Angular one point five existed already, and um, and we did a lot of research into what, how Angular 2 is going to work and the component architecture works and all this stuff. Um, and the the there was actually me and also like half of the team that I that we that we started with at that project was not we weren't really involved in the evaluation and decision to 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 use Angular. But there was this, the decision was made that we're going to use Angular and and we want to specifically use angular 2 as soon as it's ready right and uh <clears throat> so we re- did a lot of research into what's coming in angular 2 and how do you how can we write code in angular 1 so that we basically don't have um a lot of work to do when we migrate to angular 2 and that's also when i started looking into rxjs a lot because we knew that that's going to be a part of angular 2 and um it's going to be basically how async is done and and there were some um articles that were talking about how to basically implement flux with with um rxjs and so we're doing all this kind of stuff and then 
um, what happened was that then slowly, you know, the uh, uh, Angular 2 came out of beta and then went into RCs. And as soon as it came, as soon as it went to RCs, I saw, I basically saw everywhere. I got a lot of signals from the Angular team, but also people that are close to Angular. I mean, not me personally, but I, you know, when we, like we did an Angular course, I was, I was basically, um, I watched a lot of talks and there were some people that are close, that were teaching Angular, are close to the Angular team. And they were all kind of giving a lot of signals about, basically you can use it now. It's basically fine. It's done. You can, you know, like there's still, the API is going to change in the RCs, but it's still, it's going to be fine. So that's, and then we were like, okay, fuck it. We're just going to go on Angular 2 RC, whatever that was, one or so. And then it went RC 1, 2, 3, 4 or something. And th those RCs weren't real RCs. They had a lot of crazy breaking changes in the router, in... Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't want to remember. It was really, really, it was so much work. It was so much work. Like we basically just did rewrites of everything. So we threw, threw away the Angular 1 code. We could keep, we were able to keep some of it because we were writing it in an Angular 2 style, kind of, in a component architecture. But there was lots of just throwing away also the build system. We had to move to Webpack. We were started to use TypeScript. So we were just moving, like everything had to change. The whole build, the tooling had to change in many ways. Also not 100%, but in many ways. And, uh, and yeah, just, we had a, we have a, we had a pretty complicated kind of, complicated kind of, uh, app setup because in our case, we were providing some sort of a meta app that would lazy load other apps and mm -hmm. and, and and especially in the beginning uh you know during the rc times angular 2 was not it was not really fleshed out how angular angular 2 was supposed to do lazy loading there were different ways of and the router was changing in mm -hmm. crazy ways from rc to rc and it just just created like so much work so much work for us and because we are we are a dedicated team that basically provides a platform for other teams within the company we had the luxury of you know being able to take the time to do that work and also mm -hmm. because the, the, it was a it was a you know internal company decision that we want to do Angular two when it comes and we want to do it properly, and um, so it had a high priority. So we're able to to allocate the time and everything. But there were some really good developers doing a lot of work on doing all this migration. So uh, I don't think it, it it would have never been a good decision for you know just a company like a startup that needs to you know get things done basically to to go through all of that it you know like going with react or just sticking with angular one would have in that case you know been a much better decision um mm. yeah so that's basically that's basically the story it's only now since a few i would say since a few months since you know since angular 2 point so and so and now angular 4 it you feel like it's 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 getting into a mature stage and it's there's uh not a lot of uh, crazy changes from uh, version to version 
and it just feels more stable and the tooling is better and um yeah and that's 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 good now it's slowly it's getting into a good place i feel yeah that's that's interesting um i mean if it it's it would be cool if they in the end come come out with something that that works really well for for the use case like it's a full framework right and 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 you don't get to make too many choices that might come back to haunt you in the end right yeah um but if if they then have good tooling and and a mature framework um uh, this might really be a really good option and like you said like back then i think my colleague and i we went to to uh, angular connect in london last year mm -hmm. um and and there they were like heavily pushing this idea of of um, code splitting via the router, which was really new then. I think with the with the first final version um, of of Angular two, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And and I, I back then I tried like I, I got really inspired by all this RxJS stuff that you also mentioned, yeah. and and tried out some things, but it it always felt to me not not having used TypeScript before. It was also super hard to get all these typings in, and I didn't know what I was doing. And mm. to get the right typings and to get everything to work, it seemed to always. And then there was a new TypeScript version, and suddenly everything broke, and you didn't know what was going on. And so, if it's more mature now, that that sounds like it might be a great option for for some things, uh, for some use cases. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's definitely it's a viable option um, today. To, to, for for bigger apps, I think for small apps it's still problematic because if even if you do a, if currently if you do a production build, it's always going to be over 200 uh, kilobytes gzipped. And uh, if you want to do like a super optimized small little app, like you don't need all this baggage, you don't need all this RxJS, you don't need you know this or that. And um, so unless but but they're working i'm sure they're working hard on on this whole you know on optimizing that and the tree shaking and everything uh there are still some uh, challenges apparently to make tree shaking work with typescript properly i think something like that i heard and uh but uh, uh, apparently in the next major version there's going to be some of that stuff uh but other than that i mean you know that that's that's other than that it's a really it's a good it's a really good framework and especially if you use uh, angular cli um it's actually really fun to to work with it if you if you're going to write your own tooling or you're going to try to do it with gulp or something like that then you're definitely in, in a whole world of pain t because it's there's just so much stuff to configure and um to make it smooth there's just so much work that needs to go into that and i mean that's why we have like you know uh, command line interfaces for all these frameworks now so mm -hmm. angular cli it angular cli basically is the boilerplate writing machine there's there's just so much yeah. there's just so much boilerplate that you need to write for angular it's really like so much busy work if you do it from if you do it by hand and it's just stuff you don't have to think about if you use angular cli you can just you can just uh, generate your components and they're being, you know, it's the, they're registered in the right module and you can just write the components and concentrate on your CSS, your JavaScript and your HTML that you need for your components. And, and that's done quite fun. That's, I, I had, I actually had a lot of fun um, writing um, um, tiny draft with Angular CLI. It was pretty cool. Uh, but it was interesting when I, so 
so f- coming from JSConf, I was inspired to um, uh, to try to rewrite Tiny Draft with with uh, with Preact because Preact is so tiny and it's mm-hmm. and it's but you can still write but it's still basically React and you can still you know write component uh, you know just components and and just write a real app with that even though it's such a tiny framework and. Um, Uh, so I started. I started actually doing that, and um, and so I'm like halfway through or something. I think I, th- I said that in the last episode already. Yeah. Halfway through, uh, there's not a lot of interaction. I didn't implement a lot of interaction yet, but all the components are there, all the CSS is there, and so far it's at like 20 kilobytes uh, uh, um, gzip because I think I'm also because also the I'm also using the router, the Preact router. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, and I'm using Preact CLI for all of this. So there's a lot, all this optimization, like splitting up the code in, into the routes, uh, the chunks for the routes and stuff is all working, you know, by itself, even though I don't, uh, in my case, it will make more sense to just inline it because it's like one chunk is like, like two kilobytes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't make sense to, uh, to have that chunked out of the, the app. But, um, What's interesting is that I realized, so I, I started to, so, so I also did, I also started doing this because I was a little bit, um, yeah, just like not so comfortable with Angular. And I, like, even though it was fun, it was fun to write it. I'm kind of annoyed with all this boilerplate and, and I'm also annoyed with, you know, the, the documentation is, is not very mm. good. And there's so many little details and, and, uh, there's, it just seems, there's so many things that seem messy to me, mm-hmm. not not just not necessarily the code but just how the whole project is run and it's just it's hard for me to describe maybe i I should really like try to formulate it in the blog post or something make a list of the things that are kind of bugging me or something i don't know but there's also just aesthetically sometimes you know what even though that has become much better um like the aesthetic side of how things look like the documentation looks like how angular material mm-hmm. looks and stuff like that is definitely better than uh, anything that happened around angular one um mm-hmm. So, but there's all the, I have like all these tiny little gripes that just like pile up to this thing where I'm like, I don't, it's fine, you know, and I love RxJS and I, and I like components and I like functional programming and all this stuff, but Angular is just this like, there's all these little things. So I started using Preact and Preact is, is just, I mean, it's basically React. Um, even though I think I feel like he really improves on uh, React a little bit because, for instance, mm. you don't have the class name property; you just have a class property, and mm-hmm. uh, and a few little tiny details where he just put a personal note on it, which is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and you and you write uh, Angular component, uh, uh, React components, and and the thing I think I said that also on the podcast already. The thing I think why. React has connected with developers at some point. Just started to connect with people who try, who just tried uh, to tried it out. In the beginning, everybody was like, "Oh, people are mixing up." You know, this is XML and JavaScript, blah blah blah. blah. And people were shocked about this. But at some point, more and more developers just tried it out, and were super happy with it. And and in my opinion, the first time I tried it out, it felt the thing that made where it made click for me was that I was able to write this um, 
React component and import it as a ES6 class with import blah, mm. blah, blah component from blah, blah, blah. And, um, and then just use that class and use that in my JSX as, you know, a, uh, uh, angle bracket component. So I mm. didn't have to tell React, hey, this class is a component and I want, it, I want to use it as HTML somewhere. Please be aware of this. So, you know, like, and I was just able to import a class and it's just a class name and then, you know, just, and then use it as HTML basically in my JSX. And just that, that kind of bridging there that is basically done by Babel or whatever when it gets transpiled into actual JavaScript, um, but you feel you f it feels like you're writing components and you're writing HTML components basically in your JSX. I think this is the thing where all, where where um, something happens, you know, that mm. makes you happy as a as a frontend developer, um, especially as a JavaScript developer. And everything is kind of, it's so compact and it's kind of this bridge to from JavaScript to html somehow like there's something mm. there they're just for me personally there's something that felt like a synergy or some energy or something happened there you know it's interesting and this is something i really enjoy um by with writing pre react components or preact components in this case and but i also started to appreciate things in angular while mm. i was writing I started to I started to miss things that I have in Angular when I was writing Tiny Draft in uh, Preact because now I was like, oh, so how like like I need to do async stuff. So how do I like I don't have Rx in here. <laughs> like how am I gonna do this? Shit, <laughs> I have to like now look for a library. Like oh, this is annoying, and I don't have reactive. You know, I don't have yeah. reactive extensions in my JavaScript. Like this is this is for for UI uh, development. I find reactive uh, reactive extensions so nice to use. You know, mm. um, to get to get your data into the UI and also to um, to change the state and just update everything through reactiveness. Like mm. I really really love that. Mm. Um, and this is also something. So, 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 already made the decision that I'm going to introduce reactiveness into my app again, uh, but this time not through RxJS, but to through Xtreme because I want to keep the mm -hmm. libraries small. And Xtreme mm -hmm. is this uh, implementation uh, that Andres Stoltz did for CycleJS, mm -hmm. which is uh, especially for the, the use case how they use it in CycleJS and how I want to use it. It's the perfect library for that, and it's also nice and small. So uh, definitely going to introduce that. And then there was another thing. Um, what was it? Uh, there was another live. Oh, oh no, that's something else. That has nothing to do with <laughs> Angular. Uh, that was local forage, which I used in Angular as well in order to do the up to store stuff in the browser. But that's a whole different story. I think that I can definitely throw that out, hopefully also. Um, but yeah, so that was the main thing. Like I was kind of, I felt like, okay, I, I realized that there is just a bunch of things I don't have to think about in Angular because they're just there. And, mm. and um, 
you know, like the, the abstraction for HTTP and stuff and, um, and everything I can do with RxJS. Basically, it's just RxJS that I'm missing. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's not my... Oh, actually, also what I really like um, is... Oh, yeah. And you've been working with that as well because you were working on the uh, Firebase backend for TinyDraft. So basically, the routing in Angular... Uh, in Angular currently, I really, mm -hmm. I really like that. I really like how you can configure the routes in just a JavaScript plain JavaScript object, and you basically say this is the path, and mm -hmm. this path I want this component, and then I have a data property, and I can I can give that data pro property. I can pass a class to that data property that is implements a resolve interface, and then uh, that class does stuff like fetching. Mm -hmm. um, data and has access to the route, and then my components stay super clean because they just they just receive whatever that resolve class you know resolves to, and uh, stuff like that. So there's there's some details, there's some really elegant kind of things happening in that routing situation there, which I really like. And and you've been using guards, I think, to do the uh, authentication, which 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 also is configured in that routing uh, object, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, so uh, about the, <laughs> just to take it back a notch, <laughs> sure, sure. The, the Khalil revelations on, <laughs> on React. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I think I, I, something I, I, I read when when looking at some Vue.js posts, for example, like Vue.js being being another new like or popular or rising framework, yeah, was yeah. That, that people described Vue.js, and I guess you can attribute some of this to Angular 2 as being uh, like writing HTML with some JavaScript inside. Mm -hmm. So basically yeah. that, but React being, okay, I, I actually write JavaScript and I use JavaScript to, to I write code to get out my template somehow programmatically. And yeah. I guess this is maybe why why developers like it so much because they, they even when they write something as boring as markup for their templates, they get to basically do that with, with, with programming, right? So they program their templates rather than just declare them. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe that's something where it clicks. Yeah, and with 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 the router, um, with the guards, yeah, I I, I try to to uh, add add authentication via um, Firebase to to Tiny Draft, and and I I got to like at least log in via GitHub. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, you're you're right. It's it's quite nice what what the router provides for 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 Angular four these days, where you we, you're able to protect routes. Using these these guard services that basically tell you, okay, this route is 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 guarded, and you can, in the in the guard service you can um, you can describe basically what what is supposed to happen when someone goes to this route and is not authenticated, where to send them, and and and, and these sorts of things. Um, yeah. But the cool thing, I guess, with with React is that there are so many different router implementations out there. The thing is like as, as a developer, if you don't have a lot of spare time on your hands and like try all kinds of things in your spare time at work, you usually only get to work with one of these options. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, exactly. maybe yeah. not if you work at a, at an agency or something and you have a lot of clients, but even then I guess you have some kind of preferred solution yeah. um, or default solution. But, um, I guess there are a lot of different routers and router implementations that you can use. And, and I would bet, uh, that there's something similar to to the Angular router that you can just plug into into React. I think at work, like we use the the old UI router for for Angular one, mm -hmm. which which I think also supports Angular two and React these days. So it's like a universal routing solution that you can you can use with with all kinds of 
of, of uh, frameworks and, 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 and libraries. Yeah. Um, That's really nice. The thing is, the thing is, uh, what, what it doesn't, what it definitely makes me appreciate is, is this whole philosophy that is also followed by the Ember peeps where, where the framework just comes with everything you need for like 85 or 90% of your, you know, applications and, mm -hmm. and every, and every Ember project works the same way and uses the same thing for async, uses the same thing for data, uses the same kind of, um, patterns to to uh for the data flow and kind of, and, and this kind of stuff what's what's nice about that is that you just don't have the overhead of making decisions about all these things because because routing uh you know requesting data and all this stuff are all things that that every project needs and are solved problems basically and it's right. it's it's annoying that you know people at least used to have to do you know a lot of research and trying different libraries and different routers and then there were some bad implementations and some good ones and there's some edge cases that didn't know where this didn't work and that didn't work and and all that stuff and if you have a, a flame, uh, ember framework or a angular framework you have like <clears throat> super high, highly skilled teams that and uh, the open source community that work on the perfect well, the, the the best possible implementation for that framework <clears throat> And that makes it really, and that gives you a lot of security, and 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 it takes it gives you peace of mind, and also, um, and you know, you're working with a pretty good you know, software. And I think, mm. I think this is like you know, like, this is definitely like especially for routing and things like that. This is definitely something where I think it's i think it's maybe still a little bit under appreciated in the javascript community and also because javascript community is so obsessed with piecing together their things with you know <laughs> their apps with little uh, frameworks and and ember has been preaching that since years and years and uh, angular is also kind of going that route a little bit more even though they're more flexible than ember but now tr you know comparing it i can see that there's definitely it's a subtle thing somehow you know to feel that difference but it is something i think that it is something that can be um benefit it can be really beneficial if you don't have to have you don't have that overhead and you have you have a team that can really that knows the framework really well that knows angular or ember or whatever they're working with really well you have multiple teams even that know this framework really well they can all You know, like they could change teams. They would immediately know, you know, where is what in the in the project and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Whenever you jump from project to project, or if you have to quickly, you know, make a prototype, then you can spin up your Ember CLI prototype and and hack something together with some Ember components. But and if you decide this is a good thing, you want to build this out, you can take that and then just clean it up a little bit and continue working on it. And it's just you know an Ember project, just like every other Ember project. And I think there is a lot of uh, if if you have multiple teams and you're a bigger team and you're really betting on JavaScript heavily like that, and it's your main business. I think you can get a lot of efficiency out of out of that. You know that. Out of the yeah, fact of that there's not a lot of overhead and cognitive uh, load, 
So this is just this is something that that I've been really impressed by by the Ember team that they put a lot of so so much thought into that and and that they're kind of to, they're trying to cater to these types of teams, and it makes tons of sense. And and now having this comparison, I could feel how there is this cognitive load thing, you know, suddenly happening with with the Preact version of my little application mm -hmm, because now mm -hmm. I have to make more decisions. Uh, of for decisions about things that are you know basically solved and there's nothing special you know it's nothing not a problem i need to solve where we need to put in things but there is insecurity there because i don't know any routers in the react world or mm. well actually i mean in this case i'm using preact router it comes with the cli so that's fine but but uh but the async stuff i was like really like how do you even do stuff without rxjs <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah anyway um javascript no. javascript, <laughs> JavaScript, JavaScript <laughs> just use the dom um <laughs> no so yeah so that was that was interesting so and 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 currently um i don't know if you're still gonna do some more work with the um yeah, firebase thing um but you, you tweeted that you wanted to get away from firebase you were looking for a different solution so <laughs> i i yeah so firebase Did you get any feedback on that yeah yeah so firebase is is nice for angular because it firebase is owned by google and there's a super great angular um kind of uh what's it called integration for it and it's pretty easy to get started and to just slap a back end to uh to the application so then mm -hmm. i read that if i don't know like there was some kerfuffle with somebody who used firebase where the price went up seven thousand mm -hmm. times or whatever but that was actually a problem uh, like some bug or whatever and they okay. solved that or whatever yeah. And uh, so it seems like the team is quite reactive and, and it's uh, everything is okay. But um, yeah, so, so I just wanted to, I just wanted to have, uh, so with the preact thing now, I just don't feel like Firebase necessarily, there's no mm -hmm. real reason to favor Firebase because there's no preact integration with Firebase. Or, you know, like with Angular, it's kind of a no brainer because Firebase also comes with like uh, RxJS kind of support and stuff like that. So it just streams mm -hmm. everything through RxJS into your application, mm -hmm. which I just thought, you know, like, okay, this is super nice. You just subscribe and then, and then put everything, you know, and this is how it kind of, how it works. Uh, I never worked with it. So I'm just like kind of uh, making yeah. that up by, while I go. Uh, but, From uh, my experience, I think what they actually did, like this is another one of these angular points, right? Uh -huh. So, Actually, this Angular Fire is, is this Angular library, um, and they yeah. are, I, I don't know, maybe they are finished by now, but when I was starting to work on this, they were basically also in another rewrite mm -hmm. of their plugin, or and and um, basically they threw away most of the standard Angular stuff, that or the standard Angular, uh, sorry, Firebase features that they were kind of mapping into the Angular world, and basically telling you, yeah, just use the standard SDK. And the only thing we do is that we provide this one authentication wrapper or something like that, that made it easier to integrate into Angular. But in the end, I think even the, the observables provided were, were not necessarily exclusive to Angular. So okay. in theory, you could, I think you could just like use the standard SDK and, and it would, the standard Firebase SDK, and it would basically provide observables for different things and you can ju then just use your preferred observable or, or reactive uh, library and, oh, okay. um, and and use that. I think 
this is what it felt like back back then when, when I worked on it. Uh, um, this is cool. That's cool. Um, um, yeah. So basically, so so I was in the I was in a in a mind frame where I was like, okay, Firebase seems to be shady or something. So I don't necessarily want to now try to integrate it with this rewrite of tiny draft so i was just like but i wanted to i wanted to know what are some really simple solutions to just slap a back end onto my application mm -hmm. and and because I, i really don't want to think about it i don't want to learn a lot about the back end mm -hmm. i don't want to really write a back end um Although there was also some interesting suggestions by Yoshia Woitz, I still can't pronounce his name, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and um, yeah, and so I got some answers. So basically, of course, uh, Gregor from Hoodie said, of course, Hoodie is a good option. Mm -hmm. Then um, Graph Graph Cool would be an option. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what was it? And then and then Joshua said um, he he would use LevelDB with Mary. So Mary mm -hmm. is that HTTP little streaming API thing, middleware mm -hmm. thing that you could use. And then LevelDB is just like this uh, really powerful node d d d database that you can mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. use. Um, which I think is super interesting because it's those are like basically easy like nice apis and you can really quickly build something but then of course mm -hmm. you, you know authentication like how do you do that da, 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 da. like uh, i don't want to do that and then how do you want like i'm just i don't have a lot of experience and then i could totally like learn what i need to learn but i don't have time because i'm doing this on the yeah. side and it's not my main job i just want to get an i just want a real app at some point i mean i want logins i want logins and i want to have synchronization to the back end so mm -hmm. it's just persistence um in, in front end and in the back end mm -hmm. and then and then i had and then who and then gregor was saying i of course hoodie da, da, da. and then i said okay i looked at hoodie again and then i felt i i landed on some docs And I looked at the deployment because I want the deployment to be super easy. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the docs that I was looking at, they showed some convoluted mm -hmm. way to deploy a hoodie installation. So I was like, okay, well, I'm happy to talk about hoodie, but why is the deployment still so hard? And, da, da, da. and then he pointed me to uh, docs that were actually more... Um, Uh, there were newer documentation, like that's from mm -hmm. of documentation for the latest version of Hoodie, and actually you can you just you can just deploy Hoodie to now, yeah, uh, um, and then the Hoodie thing like, but it but so it can't write on now, mm. um, so you need like something like a service like Cloudent as a backend mm -hmm. that that Cloudent is like a backend as a service, like CouchDB backend as a service. Mm -hmm. And then it can, Hoodie, the Hoodie client can then sync with that because Hoodie client uses PouchDB in the browser to, mm -hmm. to hold the data in the browser and PouchDB basically uh, maps to the CouchDB API. So you mm -hmm. can do, so PouchDB can do the syncing to, to that backend. So, and that kind of made it really attractive for me because I want Tiny Draft to work offline 100%, right? Mm -hmm. I want it to be uh, a progressive web app, use service workers. If I don't know if uh, Preact CLI also also does a manifest or something like that, so it works on mm -hmm. iOS. I'm not sure, but if if yes, I'm all for that. And um, and then just and then what's nice about Hoodie is that you have one API call 
to store data and it will sync that automatically in the background. You don't have to think about that. Everything mm -hmm. else, like if I use Firebase or GraphQL or um, what was the other ones, I have to make sure I store it in IndexedDB and also make sure I sync that to the backend and do all of that manually, <clears throat> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which also is a lot of work, especially if you want it to be kind of bulletproof and with a hoodie. So I'm hoping, so currently I couldn't really get it to work with my Preact CLI application. I'm still mm -hmm. kind of, I'm just pinging Gregor all the time, like help, help. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, But I really, I really want to get it to work because I think that could be the best fit, actually, because I want mm -hmm. it to be so offline capable, you know? Offline first, big topic at JSConf. Was right. the biggest topic, yeah, it was the yeah. biggest topic. And, and, and I feel like it's, it's so important, it's such an important topic, but there is no real reason why applications are not offline capable anymore, I find. Yeah. About the, the manifest, um, I think there's a Webpack plugin for this. Um, how 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 much does does the Preact CLI abstract away the the whole Webpack setup? Because I think Angular CLI like hides the thing pretty much completely, right? Mm -hmm. uh, can you still like con do some modifications to the Webpack setup no, and just Preact drop in also, a plugin? No, Preact CLI also uh, completely hides it. Uh -huh. um, with Angular CLI, they basically copied the uh, eject feature from Create React mm -hmm. app. Ah, okay. Uh, Preact CLI doesn't have that though. Uh, ah, okay. But I don't know. I think I think I saw something. I think that that there is actually a manifest generated. Okay. So, yeah. <clears throat> cool. Yeah, but that's a good. That's a that's a good uh, thing. I didn't know about that. That there's a plugin for. Webpack I think for yeah. I think Eddie Eddie Osmani also like was involved in in uh, in creating that plugin. Oh, I then it, then they must be using it because Adi was also invo involved with Preact CLI. I think. Ah, okay, yeah, might be. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So, so yeah, let me know when 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 your when your app is ready for contribution, so I might <laughs> okay. experiment with that instead. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> and 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 what's cool also about Hoodie is that I don't have to think about authentication because you have sign up features. Ah, cool. And everything is like it's just done by the by the API. And also what I what I like is that um, that that I have my hoodie, my whole hoodie couch base, uh, couch DB. I mean. Uh, Uh, you know, um, database and app thing, backend basically running on my machine, so I can mm -hmm. I can develop against that uh, in the train when I don't have internet and stuff like that, and all mm -hmm. the other things, FireDB, GraphQL, and mm -hmm. I'm always forgetting what the third one is I was talking about. I don't know. Anyway, they don't have like a mocking thing, so there's all mm -hmm. the stuff. You know, like I I, I can't really work against it when I'm offline. I don't mm. have offline capability to begin with automatically. I have to implement that. And um, so, so yeah, so actually uh, Hoodie solves the problems that I have currently the best, as long as I can get it to work, um, then it's, it's, it could be really great because I really just need users now and some persistence to the front end and the back end. So, yeah. Cool. Well, you also tweeted about um, about this new project from Manton Rees uh, mm -hmm. to to replace Twitter, basically the open the open um, social network like uh, microblog, microblog. Microblog. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
This you, is you, so cool. I just love, I just love, man. I just learned about this today because I've been listening. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I listen. And I don't even know much about it yet, but I just had a quick look at it and I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, this is cool. Because I, I, I really like Manton and I, I like kind of the people that are in this kind of vicinity because he belongs into this kind of Apple blogger, developer kind of vicinity. He's close to... You know, people that did some really famously beautiful design apps, and um, mm -hmm. and he's he's actually he has a podcast um, with Daniel Dan Jacob, yeah, yep. core intuition, exactly. right? Core intuition, exactly. And um, and he was always like, he, I think he left Twitter like a long time ago because he was mm -hmm. fed up with you know Twitter's shen shenanigans and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's just so cool that he now, like a few years after that, he just suddenly comes out with his own solution. And you can already see that it's it's so simple and it's so nice. It looks so good. And it already has an iPhone app and you have a web interface. Nobody can sign up besides apparently people who were doing um, following Kickstarter. his Kickstarter. Yeah, like me. <laughs> oh, you did? Cool. Yeah, yeah. So you, are, so you have an account already. Yes, I have an account, but I think there was something with the app that you couldn't download it right away, and there haven't been. I think there was an update on the Kickstarter campaign this week, uh -huh. but I haven't looked at it yet. Uh, I have a username, um, okay, cool. but I haven't done anything else so far. <clears throat> yeah, so I learned about this today because I was listening to the uh, to the John Gruber to the talk show podcast with John Gruber, <laughs> and um, he has he, so he has. Uh, Manton Reese and this other developer I forgot his name uh, as a guest and they were going to talk about microblog so I don't I don't know I exactly I'm still curious to hear what, what he's going to say about it and uh, they're also going to take a, a talk about this new format for feeds JSS feed I think it's called uh, JSON feed it's it's yeah. called where I think Manton and the other guy they came up with that which is also a really cool little thing and yeah. um yeah so i just like the look of it and and i'm excited about it because i just love the kind of um attention to detail that these people apply to what they're doing you know uh, when it comes to to and in to web stuff and to the design and how, how it feels and how it's, it works and all that stuff and 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 uh, and um And micro.blog is just a cool name for it. Like, there's just so many little things that kind of feel nice and feel good to me. So I'm super, that, that's what makes me excited about it. And who's behind it and, mm. and how it looks so far from the screenshots I've seen and stuff. So, yeah. Well, so what do you think about it? So you've been, I, I guess he's been talking about it. I haven't listened to Core Intuition, the mm -hmm. podcast, in a long time. So I totally missed all of that. So you must mm -hmm. have heard the whole journey, I guess. Yeah, I think like the technical details, at, at, at least to me, seem still a bit like uh, hidden. So I think what what you can basically do is they they he will offer like a, a hosted solution where you can have your microblog run through micro.blog. So basically something like Twitter, but it's yeah. it's decentralized in the sense that you can, if you want, you can you can pipe out your own feed from your own blog. So say you have a Jekyll site, then you can you can have a feed on there that is just your microblog posts mm -hmm. 
and it's able to like syndicate with with the micro dot blog service and you can link the things uh, to to each other and follow people from a different feed. So it, it basically comes back to this decentralized idea of the, of, of the web. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the other guy um, is, is Brent Simmons, also like oh, super, yeah. super right. famous Apple Apple um, indie developer. Yeah, um, totally. I'm not sure, but isn't he the one who who originally like did did Net Newswire? Wasn't yes, I think so. Yes. So he's like also really behind the whole RSS stuff um, originally. Right. Um, and um, I, I I would assume that they somehow got together because they both are um, are like these old guys who like I hope they I, they are not, not offended by that, but like <laughs> like old school in the sense that open web we really want to 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 help the open web and. And um, the centralization that we get these days with social networks is not is not helping really. So they might, I, I guess, they just wanted to have this new new feed format. Also, probably for micro dot blog to maybe they had like yeah. maybe Manton had some some things that he felt he couldn't do that nicely with with XML feeds or or what. And and they just came up with this new spec for for JSON feed. And um, yeah, yeah. And I think like you will be able to have your own hosted version you will be able to just run something on micro.blog they have this app and um yeah we'll see where where, where this leads I'm, I'm i'm still not sure about the details but i really hope that it takes off eventually um would be kind of cool super cool i really love that that it's so open and uh, and it's kind of decentralized and follows that thing and does it in a in an interesting simple and elegant kind of way where it's not like Ah, uh, now I have to set up a Linux server and mm. uh, install some complicated software, and then you have like an ugly-looking thing that's now decentralized, mm. but it's not really, you know, it's not it's not nice to use, and this looks like something that bridges that gap a little bit better than other implementations. Yeah, so, we'll see. Cool we'll stuff. See. But do you, do you think you will integrate this into TinyDraft? Maybe if if it if you can like if if there's a way to do that to like cross post somehow. Uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, if if I like it, I still I don't have an account. I have never tried it out. So if if I have an account and I like it and I, uh, yeah, then I'm happy to definitely happy to do that. Like like with with uh, I really got inspired to 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 really make something out of Tiny Draft. Um, there was there was there was uh, on H on Hacker News somebody posted something that's called you can visit it on notational.co I think, mm-hmm. and it's a web implementation of this famous little Mac app that's a note taking app called Noto- Notational Velocity. I don't know. It's oh a, yeah, you know of that? It's yeah, yeah, an yeah, open source app. It's it's a nice little application, and this and this is a really interesting. It's a interesting implementation that has that this person did um, with JavaScript. It's just, uh, it's just a website and it's, um, and it kind of has the same UI. Mm. And I really like the idea of notational velocity where you have this, the, the main interface, the main way how you interact with your notes is basically through that search bar and you, um, to, in order to find a note and in order to create a note, You start in the search bar, which is which is really uh, which is an interesting way to 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 solve that 
or to to or yeah to 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 basically create a way to quickly create notes mm -hmm. that's why it's mm -hmm. called notational velocity because it's mm -hmm. it's quick somehow if you get used to the ui and that thing is like hey this is like tiny draft just different just like notational velocity but yeah. or this kind of where i want to where i kind of wanted to get as well with tiny draft because i would like to Uh, definitely, I think, you know, what I think are important features is to have the persistence layer. Like, that's why I'm currently trying to solve that. I want this first so that it's gone, so that is, or done, so that it, that it's a real app that people can actually use and log in and stuff like that. And then, then features like that are kind of notational velocity-esque, I would like to introduce as well. So especially like a search, a big search bar, I think would be really important so that you can find your notes really quickly. Mm -hmm. And and some some you know like simple keyboard shortcuts or maybe also a really easy way to get from the short uh, from the search bar into the create a draft kind of view and stuff like that to make that also really quickly and and seamless um, are a few things that I, I want to get um, I want to work into Tiny Draft <clears throat> although I don't want to be like notational velocity I don't want to. Because I'm not a hundred percent with that UI, you know. Mm. I'm also not a hundred percent with Notational.co. Like, mm. it's there's some nice ideas there, and I find them inspiring to introduce some kind of some kind of, like features like that in uh, Tiny Draft. But I'm, I'm not. I but I want to do my own thing a little bit, not a clone of that. So, yeah. Um, also, your your purpose, like the app's purpose, is different, right? It's it's yeah. about like creativity, getting your thoughts out really quickly. And, and at some point publishing them, right? It's like a kind of a different approach, no? Yes, that is, that's the first kind of inspiration, but I don't mm -hmm. know if that's really how people will end up using them uh, oh, okay. or, or use that. So there's, I think there's many things that you can do with it. I'm thinking that it could be also really taking notes, especially as soon as you have a search bar that you can then use to quickly pull up notes. Mm -hmm. Um, um It can be a tool for that, as well as maybe it would make sense to introduce tags, but but mm. in a in a very kind of constrained. I was thinking of maybe a constrained way where you mm. have just uh, where you can give a note a type. So basically, you can say, okay, this is you have a default type, which is like empty or like a tweet kind of note, or and then you could maybe give it the type to do. Mm -hmm. And then it would look the same, but you would have the ability to check it off somehow mm -hmm. to get it into a different state where it's checked off, but it's still mm -hmm. there, you know, and yeah. you kind of visually show that, that you did that. And maybe, maybe have then also a view where you, every, all the things that are to do type are kind of in that view or something like that. I don't mm -hmm. know. I have a few of those kind of thoughts to, there's, there's interesting things you can play around with, but, but I definitely want to keep it simple in the beginning and just keep it at with the whole Twitter thing. Because I I really need to integrate with Twitter itself, actually. Like link your Twitter account to it so mm. you can really nicely post from there and stuff. Yeah. Mm. yeah, with the Twitter focus, I was thinking that maybe as a as an author uh, like authentication mechanism it would totally make sense to use like Twitter auth basically. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. Um but if you're going in a different direction, hey man. Whatever, whatever uh, fits fits the purpose best, right? Yeah, I think I think Twitter logging in with Twitter needs to be an option. Mm. But but um, 
doesn't have to be the only one. Maybe there's mm. a maybe maybe there's a hoodie plug-in for that to look. If not, maybe I can make one or mm. um or I'll just use Twitter auth and start with that uh, or start with with hoodie auth and then bring Twitter auth, I don't know. Whatever. I just want to want to make um want to get to to a po point where I can use it as quickly as possible. So whatever is quicker, I'm just going to do first and then go from there. Cool. Um, Yeah. cool excited to see what you do <laughs> <laughs> thanks yeah and you're of course welcome once once also it's clear i think you know like i think i think uh preact is definitely um suits the project better because it's pretty small mm -hmm. and i also like to get this experience to work like in a react fashion mm -hmm. and uh once the the back end is kind of there and stuff like that i think it's it, it will be in a in a kind of more stable And not in a much less fluctuating state. So it, uh, you if you contribute, it's not going to be, <laughs> it's yeah, not going to be uh, throwaway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote a blog post about this topic once, like side projects and how to make them successful. But after writing that post, I think I, <laughs> I successfully like completed one side project and then <laughs> went back to squirrel mode. <laughs> so That's funny. we'll see. I, I have to keep keep writing. That's something you said once. Like keep writing, just write it. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, totally. Writing yeah. is it's, it's really good. Like that's that's something that I'm also not really super good at, but I'm trying to to write stuff down um, as much as possible. Especially when there's something going on where I did something, I learned something, and I have have you know like just the stuff that we talked about today. Like there's lots of stuff that I could just put into little posts or something like that. Mm. Good. Yeah. It, Same here. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Then you should, you should definitely write. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just so good. Like if you, especially if you manage to do it on a regular basis, I think it's it's so it's really useful for yourself, but also for whoever you know reads it. It's 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 just yeah. It's this. It's interesting because it's such. A, it's kind of a thing that that is not as popular as it was because at some point blogs were like super hype, but they're not hype mm. at all anymore, but mm. it's still super important. And, the, and, and people who still do it, they still, people still read it, you know? And even if, if not a lot of people read it, it doesn't matter for you personally to write stuff down, especially in a world where everybody is just tweeting and texting and all this yeah. stuff. It's really good to kind of, to order your thoughts and not order <laughs> is it order no uh get organize kind of organize your thoughts exactly yeah <laughs> yeah I, th i think i also heard on uh, on another podcast that i listened to um that that someone said they had worked with with some people who who changed careers from being a professional writer to being a developer mm -hmm. and that these people were like some of the best developers that, that this, uh, this host yeah. was had ever worked with because they, they, their code was really readable because they were like used to structuring their thoughts and, and to, to like modularize them and optimize them somehow in a, in a different way, obviously, but, but that this, this, this knowledge and understanding of how to, how to make text or, or ideas understandable to other people also, um, Uh, helped help them write code and, and make them really good developers. So yeah, there yeah. definitely is like a relation between these things. Yeah, uh, I think I think uh, the Basecamp people have written a lot about that. Mm, okay. 
Yeah, the, they also, um, I think in one of their books, they also said, basically, if you have the choice between two developers that you mm -hmm. can hire, and they're both technically adept in the same way, if they know everything they need to know, um, choose the one that is the better writer, mm. kind of, was kind of their thing. Because okay. for them, it's also like a huge thing. Their signal versus noise block is like imp mm -hmm. super important. And they all they they all they put all they were sharing their opinions and everything all was writing they were writing so much on there and it has become this really incredible tool and and also they're they're always thinking about you know the copy on the website how do you write how do you express that the best way in the mm -hmm. application they're thinking about how to word things the right mm -hmm. way and all mm -hmm. this stuff and experiment with it a lot and stuff and you, when you when you think about it You know these uh, applications. There, it's a communication with a with a human being. You know, mm -hmm. and and it's and writing in that case is extremely important. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Also, commit messages. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> before, like, let's not get back into it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's super. It's super important. Um, I'm also actually at work. I'm kind. I'm. I always feel like, I f for some reason, I feel always pressured, but not by anybody else. It's just myself for some reason. Whenever you know, I write a ticket description or a comment in a ticket or a commit message, I always feel pressured to quickly write something down and to get back to working on a task again. Because mm. for some reason, mentally writing a piece of a ticket or a comment in a ticket is not part of the task anymore for me and it just needs mm. to be done quickly or something. I think this is just something that's very, very common. Mm -hmm. um, this kind of treating the writing part of your job really bad and, mm -hmm. and just rushing through it. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that at some point and I was kind of, and now I'm currently trying to pause and breathe and then just think about, okay, now This is a good. This is a good op um, opportunity to practice your writing, and you mm -hmm. know, make a good ticket description. Write a good, you know, comment that has all the links in it that has a good description in it and stuff like that. And don't always <laughs> succeed, but I'm but I'm trying to use that now in uh, in the job to um, yeah to get a little better at the writing because that's because uh, actually you do a lot of that. Also companies, tech companies should should give out awards like weekly awards instead of employee of the month or so. It should be like commit message of the month or something like that <laughs> <laughs> to incentivize coders yeah. to write better better get com commit messages or totally. or uh, product owners to write better better ticket descriptions or whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. All right, I think we're at the end of this episode, my friend. This was yeah. uh, this was great. It was very yeah. fun to talk to you. Awesome. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> yeah, sure. We should definitely do it. Like this feels good. Like we should definitely. Um, I definitely want to have uh, uh, Gonzalo Morey and also Magalhini uh, on at some point. They said they need to. They weren't ready today to to join in. They need to some time to prepare. Mm -hmm. And uh, totally understand that. It's totally fine. And I'm going to try to make some uh, appointment, uh, some schedule scheduling mm -hmm. with them so they can come on because uh, they've been also really they've been in the chat since pretty early in the beginning i think when we started so um interested and they're also pretty active there uh, mm -hmm. so 
uh, definitely interested to find out more about them as well. And uh, yeah, this feels good. It's cool. Definitely need to do that more often. And since since uh, since uh, yeah, you know, Henning and oh, my co-hosts are flaking out every now and then. I'll be able mm. to do that. But maybe we'll just have a few people on just with everybody, which would also would also be cool. I think. Yeah. All good options. Definitely. All right. So uh, let me do the outro. So let me think. Uh, we need we need more um, um, reviews, please. Five star reviews if you like the show um, on on iTunes. You can find the link to do that um, in the show notes. We are Reactive Pod on Twitter. Uh, Henning is hglattergots on Twitter. Uh, uh, Raquel is Rockbot on Twitter. I'm Khalil tweets on Twitter. Felix Jung is. Felix Jung on Twitter? No, unfortunately <laughs> not. No, it's Feju, F-E-J-U. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So everybody follow Felix. And uh, I think we don't have any new members in the Slack chat. I could be wrong, but I think we don't. So um, I'm not going to check because I'm pretty sure about that. But I could be wrong. So if, if I'm wrong, then apologies. Uh, we'll definitely uh, big you up the next time. And I think that's that's it. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me.